Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This recording, that's recording. Andy, we are up. Thanks for being here. How's it going, man? How you doing? Doing good, man. And so one thing, you know, when I read your stuff and your biography, whatever you want to say, you were uh it seemed like you had a very interesting background. And just so everyone kind of knows what we're kind of we're gonna get into here. You know, you've written for Rolling Stone, ESPN, Forbes, you've uh interviewed a bunch of different rock stars and it seems like celebrity uh sports stars and everything just maybe we should just start like what was the motivation was this something you always had planned as a kid to start doing and just fall in your lap or what's up no you forgot the you forgot the part about uh, me working at a cubicle and in the business world for 20 years but oh. <laughs> yeah um kind of like you know i i've always written a little bit but i was you know not a great student i wasn't really kind of coherent about or consistent about my practices you know i like i didn't i like to write and express myself but i was not your diary writing in journal you know, it was just like in the 80s when you had to pick up a pen and do that mm. it was a little bit too much work i actually like learned how to use a computer like we had typing classes in the eighth grade in like 1985 or whatever it was and so uh yeah i always kind of wrote a little bit um you know I wrote for my like elementary school newspaper i think the first thing i ever wrote at all or about sports was on uh, this i want to say it was like the winter of 19 19- 82 because i think the bengals and 49ers were in the super bowl um it snowed a lot and then my my fourth grade class was overcome with this huge chess craze so my sport first sports articles about the chess craze of blair mill elementary in pennsylvania that uh because i was super into it too sure. and then you know like from there just like a little bit of high school newspaper a little bit of college newspaper like you know we didn't have blogs back then so it was it wasn't as easy to do i think now I mean, it's easier to get distracted now, I think, but it's easier to actually like pen down your thoughts uh, and obviously going like in far in the other direction. We know that, you know, people will talk about how many times they sneezed on TikTok today and you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever else they think is interesting. And so, you know, obviously we're in a different uh, era completely, but I just kind of wrote along the way and always had thoughts. And, um, you know, I got out of college and 
I guess I intended to major in, in journalism when I got there, but I, I switched colleges and it just kind of went a different direction. So um, I had, you know, in, in the nineties, uh, I got out of college in, in 1994, working in the business world for a while, um, worked in financial services. And like, I sold everything from like, I, originally I was working for a bank and then I you know sold stocks and bonds and mutual funds and currencies and dabbled in IT for a while. And then got back to, to, to sales. And along the way I did kind of like nineties things like, you know, when it was, it was cool to have, I don't know if you know what a zine is, but like I, I had a zine, like a zine was like in the 90s where you and your friends kind of publish your own newspaper. Okay. So prelude to a blog. We actually like had a local printer that had newspaper paper and we'd write about bands and get the shows for free and review albums and stuff like that. That was what zines were about. Uh, Tower Records used to have a whole like wing of their their huge magazine section that was dedicated to zines. You know, a lot of it was like punk punk rock type of zines. Uh, obviously, there weren't zines about golf, I don't think, or, uh, you know, uh, conservative politics. So it was pretty much the punk scene and the indie uh, rock scene. So we did that and, you know, did that for a while. And then around 2000, when you know people started putting up their own websites, so it wasn't that hard to, to do that. You know, I bought Dreamweaver in a box and put up my own music website and then kind of fast forward to, uh, to the, you know, 2007, 2008. I'm working in uh, working for an insurance company, kind of doing sales again and just trying to stay sane you know i was like a young parent i had a, a two-year-old at the time and a friend of mine suggested you should write a blog so i just kind of went with that and would do a rant about sports once twice a week and get my eight friends at home to read it and then just from there set some goals like yeah, maybe i can get published in the next five years or let's see where this goes and you know one thing i'll say about the business world even if you're not like a businessy type of person you do learn certain skills like you know, things that you think only matter in that realm, like following up and, you know, things that like help you pitch an editor and not feel beat down when they say no. So I just kind of used that and came up with ideas and made connections and eventually found my way to writing my first ESPN article about extreme sports in uh, July of 20, 2011. And just kind of hopped from opportunity to opportunity from there and, you know, never never took no for an answer, never decided that, that I only wanted to write about pro sports, or I only wanted to write about the NFL. Like if there was a, you know, I don't know, squirrel log tossing on ESPN, I would write about it, you know, just kind of get something in ESPN, yeah. treat it like it was the most interesting thing in the world. And, you know, I could tell you the story, but from there, just, I ended up here kind of, you know, interviewing athletes at some you've never heard of before, but then I've got to interview some big names like Tom Brady and Shaq and Billie Jean King, and uh, just kind of built up, you know, not, maybe not. I, I don't think I have a lot of followers or a huge audience, but kind of a repertoire reputation with sort of the publicists in the sports business space. And I've gotten to do a lot of cool things because of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, based on what you just said, that's a very interesting story. You know, you you kind of seems like you kind of saw the the patterns of things. You know, you started small, kind of worked your way up and you just took yeah. a chance on things. And that's very bold. It's very bold moves. So, you know, like you said, you were working in insurance for a while. Then you decided to go ahead and just try this blog thing and the zine thing all at the same time. But, you know, but it's one of those things that where people are, I feel like are afraid to take those chances where that's like, no, I'll just stay on the safe road. And, you know, if I do take this chance, like who's all going to read it? It's just my eight friends. It's like you said, I mean, maybe, maybe I don't want to do that. Maybe it's just a waste of time. Maybe the juice juice is not worth the squeeze, you know, but it seems like you just said, nah, fuck that. I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah, I think well, one cool thing about um, you hear and read a lot about the gig economy and it's sort of framed like I love business news and I like to, you know, I watch CNBC and I read Bloomberg and the Wall Street Journal. They all kind of frame the gig economy 
sometime, you know, probably 90, 95% of the time, it's like, well, it's just, you know, you can make money, side hustles, but, you know, unless you're a millionaire, you don't, you don't get benefits, you don't get support. But, you know, at the same time, you can work, you know, for a bank and then blog or do a podcast on, on the side. doesn't mean you're necessarily going to make a ton of money when you do it. But, you know, th- at the same time, you can go different ways and uh, you do it because you love it. I, I would say about a writer, people ask me about like, well, how did you switch to become a full-time writer? Isn't that hard? You, you know, did you have to starve? And what I would say is writing is like being a video gamer. Like no one, I think probably no one in the world who plays video games did it because they heard that some esports person is making a million, $10 million playing esports. Like you, you do video games because you love it because you can't stop playing. And then if it goes in that direction or you build up a, you know, a skill or repertoire, then yeah, it can go to a whole nother level. But you didn't start it because you know, you want to do, uh, I don't know, you, you thought about the the monetary aspect, the career aspect, you just do it because you love it. So I think writing is the same way, sports writing. I've told, you know, young people that I talk to, uh, you know, who asked me about like, how'd you, how'd you do this? Or how could I do this? And I just tell them like, you know, do it because you're passionate and don't get hung up on, yeah. you know, after I, after my first article, I didn't get a full-time job offer from ESPN or Fox Sports. Like it shouldn't be about that make it about what you love and do it anyway. And then good things happen down the road. Yeah. That was a point I wanted to bring up that, you know, you seemed all even like doing what you loved. you were doing things that were maybe if you want to say outside the social norm, I mean, you know, write about punk rock bands or uh, what'd you say that you would have wrote about squirrel log tossing or something that where most people, no, I need to write about, you know, the, uh, the 1996 bulls or whatever, just because that was in, that was what was happening. But you say true to your interests and, yeah, yeah, like you said, you got to carry or interview some big names now just because of yeah, that. Or, I mean, you can, you can, you know, I live in Chicago here. So, I mean, you can make the goal and say, I want to be, you know, I want to write about the Cubs. And, you know, whether that's a, you're a beat writer for MLB or you're writing for, uh, you know, the local newspaper or, you know, baseball America or whatever, like do that. But then don't also say, well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to write about Little League Baseball. That's beneath me or I'm not going to cover this, you know, you know, like, Take your opportunities and use it as a means to an end, but enjoy the process and you know be honest along the way. That's that's just my my take on it. You know, it's it's you don't see any. any I, I write a little bit about um, sport uh, race car driving, and one thing I've learned about NASCAR is how uh, and just race car driving in general, like how entrepreneurial it is. And if you're a race car driver, you don't say, "Oh, I only want, I only want to race in you know the NASCAR Cup Series, and I only want to race for a big team like Hendricks or." Mm. Um, you know, Joe Gibbs racing. No, you got to start small and you got to kind of take your opportunities where you can. And if that means, you know, racing the fourth fourth tier race out in Idaho or central mm. Iowa to kind of get your get your wheels broken in, you know, that's what you have to do if if the passion is, if your love is really uh, race car driving and your end goal is to make it all the way. Like you got to do those things, um, you know, that you need to, to go down that path. That, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and and sometimes I wonder that, and I don't want, you know, I'm generally speaking, of course, that if that's a problem with the modern world, I guess what to say, or younger generations is that they think they have to go out and, you know, catch a whale every time in order if they're starting, whether it be esports and or, uh, you know, writing about the Cubs, like you said. But, you know, you got to start somewhere. You got to start small. And not everybody gets that chance to go out and interview Tom Brady or Shaquille O'Neal right out the gate, right? That you got to work your way to it. But when they don't get, you know, well, I guess what am I trying to say? When they don't get that the very first time, they instantly just say, well, this is not for me. I'll just go ahead and find something else better to do rather than try to work at it and stay interested in it. 
I mean, is that kind of what the issue is? Like, it's like almost like a victim mentality that, oh, you know, it's woe is me, I guess, kind of thing. It could be. I don't, I'm not very empathetic to people who feel sorry for themselves. Like, I, I'm not saying I'm great or anything, but, you know, I came to Chicago in 1994. I, between 94 and, you know, probably 2016 or 17, like, I didn't have, we used to say the word Rolodex. I didn't have a Rolodex of, uh, you know, important contacts. I didn't have any ins. I didn't have, and not that I, don't, I think very few people have like a family connection, but like if you're thinking that um, you need to have like some sort of help, you know, you need someone kind of put in a good word for you, you're focusing on the wrong thing. So I think any pursuit, you know, you got to do it because you love it and not be hung up on sort of what everyone else is doing. You know, it's kind of gets the, the old the old story in the, the 90s was, um, you know, like, I heard this this statistic a couple of times, kind of changing subjects here, but on any given day in LA, there are 96% of the actors and actresses are out of work. Now, I don't know if that the ones are who are working, the 4% includes the people who are sitting, you know, in the in the crowd of an infomercial getting paid 50 bucks to be there, or or if we're talking like people have series. But the point is like you go out to LA because you want to be a, a you know movie writer, um, script writer, you know, you work on your scripts, but that doesn't mean you can't work for UPS or serve coffee at a restaurant. Like I, in my generation, we were kind of told that, well, you're never going to make as much money as your parents. You know, if you try to do something creative, like be a screenwriter or a sports writer or, you know, a musician, you're going to end up, you know, working in the mail room of some crappy company. And that's all you're going to like. Whereas I think a lot of my, people, my generation, I'm 50, a Gen X was like, well, screw it. You know, some of it was like, it was, it was kind of cool the nice to be a hipster who worked at the U- UPS and, you know, like had your own Brown uniform. And uh, <laughs> then after, after your shift, you're going drinking, uh, you know, I don't know, the, the, the whiskey that no one else is drinking. Mm-hmm. That's cool right now that you never heard of in some Brooklyn bar, but you know, along the way, I guess maybe I feel like my generation and maybe I'm speaking of people that I know interact with like work, mean, work is a means to an end. I know plenty of people who like, or my age or close to who still bartend and still serve at restaurants. And like, that was another thing I was told like, well, you know, if you don't take school seriously, you're going to be waiting tables for the rest of your life. But yeah. I've known people like who love interacting with customers and they don't want to get out of bed before 10 AM. And they, you know, they like working a one to 11 shift and that's their life. And it's very social and they could never work behind a desk, you know, writing like I am or doing data entry. It's, it's, Work is what you make it, and I think your opportunity is what you make it. And there's nothing, no rule, no substantive rule that says, you know, you can't uh, you can't be a teacher in fourth grade and then also aspire to be an NHL coach, you know, uh, down the road. Like, you know, give what you love a chance and uh, keep keep being positive. I think. Yeah, you know, I can relate a lot to that. That I grew up in the early not well in the '90s and 2000s was like my years. You know, I'm 36, so, but uh. You know, I remember growing up and going to high school that if you were to say that, hey, to your guidance counselor or teacher or whatever, that, hey, I want to play in the NFL one day or whatever, you were just like, what? They were, what? You're not going to do that. You know, get your get your degree, go to college and take the safe road out and, you know, yeah. go, go, I don't know, go run a business or whatever it is. But, you know, and my point is that Joe Ro- on Joe Rogan's podcast, Aaron Rodgers actually had the same story, too, that where he told his teacher or guidance counselor, whatever it was that, Hey, I'm going to be an NFL quarterback. And they just laughed in his face about it. And they almost just shut his dreams down just because of like, Oh, you know, it's like the old story. Well, what 1% of people actually make it to a professional athlete or whatever the statistic is. But it was like, damn, you know, it can be done, but it was people like that who decide to like kind of 
just brain on your parade and crush your dreams at a young age. It's just like, what the hell, man? I mean, and when you know that you know, there's a chance that anybody can do it, it's just a matter of maybe hard work and a little bit of luck at the same time, you know? Yeah. And you know, there's uh, I, I listen to a lot of, I'm huge into music and that's part of my book 90 days and nineties is, is about. So sometimes I like to pretend in my mind, like I'm like one of my favorite bands when they're just playing small clubs. Cause like, you know, I, I'm trying to get my book known in Chicago, but not, you know, like I get to interview great people, but it's not like, you know, I'm not like uh well-known as a sports writer, but at the same time, like just have fun doing what you do and don't listen to what people say. And mm. I guess I good things can happen. So yeah, there's, there's a million paths to the end game. And <laughs> I think it's just, you got to do what you love. You know, so, otherwise, you get, I mean, some people just see their job as a nine to five and they just want to make enough money to kind of, hang out with their their family and their kids sure. and you know watch tv and that's fine too i'm not criticizing that but sure. um i think life is boring when you just kind of don't aspire to do what you want whether it's you know whether we're talking recreational professional stuff it's just you, know, you gotta you gotta enjoy life i agree 100 uh who's your favorite band that you're writing about in your book that you're just saying favorite band is that what you just said? You're writing about your, you're writing about your favorite brand with your book. Yeah, I've got about fifty of them. So okay, or you just put it kind of put an all conclusive kind of thing all together with them. Yeah. So um, I, you know, my my book Ninety Days in the Nineties is primarily about it's about a woman who's you know about my age. She's a record store owner and she moved back to Chicago. So you see the poster behind me. There's a, like what looks like a train car. That's uh, uh, that's remnant. That's we have something called the L here in Chicago where you got different lines. Not as big as like New York, but. If you ever been to Chicago, like, you know, if you take the train, the red line goes north and south, the blue line goes uh, to the airport, and there's the brown line and the orange line, yada, yada. So, um, you know, she she hears these urban legends about this train called the gray line that supposedly, if you can find it, goes back to the past, and she doesn't really believe it at first. But, uh, you know, taking the whole urban legends as a 90s theme, I kind of play with that. And long story short, she finds a, a gray line stop under her record store and decides to go back to the 90s to... Uh, just kind of like reboot her life and redo some things. And then when she's back in the nineties, she gets way too caught up in the Chicago music scene and, you know, enjoying life and hanging out with her friends and going to see bands play live shows. And she inadvertently gets her job as a music writer back. And, you know, when that happens, you're talking about the music scene in any city, like, you know, talk with a music nut and, you know, not that they're name dropping bands, but you're going to talk about all kinds of bands and all kinds of, you know, just like a, you talk about fantasy football, you're going to talk with somebody for 15 minutes about football. You're going to hear a million bazillion names of players and coaches and stuff. So uh, I love music from Chicago. I love music from England. I mean, you know, there's some of my favorite bands for, are from L.A. too. And so quite a few good bands from Virginia, especially in the like the mid 90s alternative scene, which I could talk about if you want. But yeah, yeah, it's um yeah, there's a little bit of sports folklore in, in my book. And of course, you know, it's right in the middle of when Jordan comes back to the Bulls. Nice. And the Bulls dominate the world. And, you know, back in the 90s, like if if you don't if you see the last dance, you might get um an inkling of this. But like we literally would stop three times a week, whatever we were doing to watch the Chicago Bulls play. Sure. You know, it was because yeah, it was I was little. So, yeah. Just I was, you know, I was like 14, no, 10 years old. And I was like, oh, yeah. so all that tipping. Yeah, all okay. that is in the book. All that's in the book, and um, you know, it's it's just kind of a someone's, uh, I guess, personal journey, but a hell of a lot of Chicago music and sports thrown into it. Yeah, I mean, so you just decided just to wrap everything up and say, "I'm going to write." Is this your first book? It's like, I'm yep. write yeah. What, what's what's been the writing process been like? I mean, is it something you you write every day, or you just only write when you get inspired, or what? I think you, you know, I, um, I think some people who 
maybe aren't professional writers or even even people who are writers writers, I think that you need to be inspired <clears throat> inspired so to speak um but I think you really need to apply yourself but more more than anything I think so I spent five years writing this book and people oh, might go wow five years that's a lot oh that seems like it's tough um I was really into the subject I just came up with an idea one day about yeah wouldn't it be cool to time travel back to the 90s to see this band that I, that I liked or to visit this taco shop that I love that's no longer in Chicago because it shut down you know 25 years ago stuff like that like I get excited about places to go and places to eat and it's kind of like everyday things like that. Uh, so, and, in, in, you know, I didn't know it was going to take me five years. It's not like I said, five years from now, I'm going to have a book, but started writing it in the middle of 2017, just trying to figure it out. And I like the subject and the idea enough and the idea of putting Chicago and music in it enough that I ended up, uh, I just kind of figured this out about a month ago. Like I ended up creating this alternate reality. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill in the 90s with these cool characters I wanted to hang out with and that was how I got through like writing two hours a day every day nice uh, to get it done and it sounds it made it made it easier than I thought it would be but so so what do you mean like you were just kind of like imagining these characters that like, you wanted to hang out with all day and you just started writing is that kind of yeah I mean uh I knew there was going to be a, a, mu- a you know, music piece to it so when you're writing a, a novel or any sort of fiction you got to kind of figure out like who's your character what do they get you know, excited and bummed out about what, why are they doing what they're doing? So um, you kind of figure out those things out. If, if you, you got to kind of keep writing in the beginning, but you you figure some of those things out and then, you know, she has a record store. So there's probably going to be some people who are like arguing about bands. Just like if you're in your fantasy football league, there's probably going to be people arguing about whether your quarterback is better than mine. And, you know, that's kind of like natural everyday stuff. And I just played with that and built on it and, so that's what I mean. Like I would, you know, you got to create scenes in a story. And then I would think of things like, wow, you know, like it, I think about like my friends who are really into music, who would argue about the most insane things because music is their life. And, you know, how many times I was present for those like silly little discussions and <laughs> kind of made, you know, kind of took some of that and put my places like, a, you know, as a narrator, a bystander watching all this stuff and, um, I can talk about '90s movies, but there's a piece, there's a piece to it too, where 
I have felt like, you know, kind of like in Pulp Fiction when you're what when you're hanging out with Jules and Vincent on the stakeout in the morning. Like I've never been a gangster, but I kind of felt like uh, I'm hanging out with them in that movie. Like there's a lot of 90s movies that are like that. So I kind of aimed for that angle just to be like, you know, you're reading this book and you're rolling with with Darby and her friends in the 90s and some funny shit happens. And, you know, hopefully uh, you dig into it as, as much as they do. Yeah. I mean, like I love, you know. I don't know how many nineties movies I could just start naming off the top of my head, but I kind of agree though, that, you know, that was a lot of my childhood growing up was movies just because I grew up in a very rural area and like literally my best friends were miles and miles away. And that, oh. yeah, then there was nothing really else to do besides, you know, the closest park was, you know, a couple miles away and you started to get in rods everything. So watching movies was like my thing. It still is. That's kind of what I grew up in still, still doing now that, you know, give me some popcorn and a cherry Coke and I'll watch movies all day long. It's just my thing. And just that you find those movies, like you said, that you're like almost envisioning yourself within that scene or whatever it is. And that it's, it's really cool feeling. Then you can go on and talk about it, you know, and uh, like whatever it is, let's talk about like these insane arguments. It's like you said that, you know, your friends used to have about the most ridiculous things ever about, you know, what was really in the briefcase or not. What is it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me ask you. So, one of the one of the pivotal movies in the '90s that to me um, is Days Confused. Have you ever seen Days Confused? Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So you know that there's not really a plot, and basically you hang out with these with these kids from Austin, Texas, on the last day of their junior high school for twenty, like basically twenty four hours. Sure. And it happens over the span of a day. And yeah, there's some things that happen. I mean, there is a plot. I can't say there's no plot, but it's not you know explosion on in the in the first scene and. It's not like Die Hard where all of a sudden there's a problem that needs to be resolved. Like I don't even know if there's a problem that needs to be resolved in that movie, but it just works because the dialogue is great and it kind of sets the tone for what it is. And I think now it's a classic. And also it's great that all these people who are nobodies back then, like Matthew McConaughey, Ben Affleck, um, you know, in, in indie music, Parker Posey is, you know, or sorry, indie movies like Parker Posey is, you know, one of the, one of the best actresses out there. Um Joey Lauren Adams, there's probably a whole bunch of them I'm missing that were in that movie. Uh, you know, and it kind of works out that this movie that was such such a like an enjoyable thing in the 90s became more important as time went on and speaks to maybe the feeling of the 90s. And I kind of wanted to capture that in my book. At least I, I hope I did. And I think some people who've read it so far have told me that, you know, it's in the right ballpark. Do you think it's a lot of nostalgia because when you know we start talking about you know movies like this or music you know uh for example i did a crossfit competition in um bristol a few weeks ago and i think sometimes this month the wallflower wallflowers are going to be playing down there and i was like oh shit i remember watching their videos you know when i was growing up and it was so it's like a cool feeling just even though they were still playing and i had no clue that like it was first time i even thought about them in years so do you think that's like a lot of a lot of it is that nostalgia feeling that people get that feelings back and they want to go explore it and see how they feel now compared to what they did back when they really first saw it. Yeah. Anything? Ready? I think so. I mean, uh, I, well, I know Jacob, Dill, Jacob Dylan's been doing some stuff. Like I only really like maybe one or two of the wallflower songs, but um, like, I love that song fifth Avenue heartbreak. Um, the other stuff is, you know, it's a little, it's not really my flavor, but he did um, that movie that he did a documentary about a year and a half ago called uh, Echo in the Valley, where he kind of like revisits the bands in, um, what is that area in LA, the uh, the uh, Laurel Canyon area, you know, and like how bands from the late 60s, early 70s, like um, Crosby, Sills and Nash, you know, influenced the rock of the 70s, 80s and 90s. So um, you know, obviously he's very active in music. I've been going to concerts a lot, so I will say yes. I mean, it depends what kind of music you're into, but I think nowadays bands, especially bands that have been around for a while, like they don't make their money on 
selling records, they make it on touring. So I just saw, for example, last Saturday, I saw L7, a great band that first got, you know, kind of heard about in the 90s, all-woman band. And they were great. I saw Echo and the Bunnymen, like a late 80s band about a month ago here in Chicago. Of course, everybody in the crowd was my age. And uh, I took my son, and my son wanted to see Dinosaur Jr. He's 16. So a couple of Fridays ago, we went out, and, it was, you know, it was like a lot of dads with 16-year-olds or 18-year-olds. And, um, you know, they're kind of doing their thing again, and they popped out of the, the early 90s as well. So I think so. And I, maybe you could be cynical about it and say it's it's a business thing. Of course, the 90s are going to come back because record companies have records to sell, and uh, people are opportunistic. But I do think that, yeah, people will, uh, you know, Drake will have a comeback in 15 or 20 years. I don't like Drake. I think his music kind of sucks. That's just my opinion. But, you know, like Eminem's still around. He's still kind of doing new things and he's not going to go away. You know, there's no. always going to be people who will pay 65 bucks to sit in a stadium and see him, you know, and he's one of those, Eminem's one of those artists who could probably like play five shows back to back in a stadium. Sure. Whereas a lot of what I'm seeing now, and this is the other side of it, that, you know, like Boy George and Culture Club could come in the US and there'll be people who are, you know, like 10 years older than me and maybe some people my age who will go see them at the Chicago theater or a club that holds, you know, 400 people because they're like, yeah, I love their, I love their music. You know, that's, that, that's nostalgia is a big business, but it's also uh part of our lives too. I think. Well, look at blink 182. They just announced they were doing another reunion. Yeah, exactly. I, I was trying to get tickets in Charlotte and ticket prices were insane already just out the gate. And yeah. and that was me sitting with my probably head would be touching the ceiling. They were gonna be like three or four hundred dollars. And I was like, damn, I really want to see them, but I can't. I don't know if I can yeah. justify this right now. But I get it that everyone just wants to jump back on the board just because of like they're back, you know, just like I gotta relive my days. Yeah, maybe they never went away. I I did the, basically the same thing twice with Guns and Roses. I saw them at Wrigley a year ago, and then yeah, I saw them in the nosebleeds in the United Center in 2017. And like I follow them on Instagram and like this week, they're playing like Santiago, Chile and Buenos Aires. And the stadiums are not any smaller there. There's, I mean, they're keeping busy. They're sure. not releasing new records that I know of. But, you know, there's people still want to hear Welcome to the Jungle. And they always will. Even when uh, Axl Rose is in a, in a walker wearing his leather pants, people are going <laughs> to still pay top dollar to see these guys if they can. Oh, yeah. There's been a bunch of people like that. Uh, wasn't Johnny Cash one of those guys who they would still get out there and just push him out there and just hope that he could play or do something until he just kicked the bucket finally like richard Pryor with his comedy they did the same thing with yeah. him, just kind of willing him out and because i knew people would still come see him but were they in the best was it their best performances probably not uh, i don't know i mean johnny cast did an interesting thing where he did a covers album which i mentioned in my my uh my book um i haven't remember it's like a combination where he does like this he does songs by Soundgarden, depeche mode and you've heard them all yep. and he kind of like uh honored and you know kind of gave it up for the music of the nineties in the nineties and people are like, wow, this is pretty cool. And Oh, by the way, you know, like people don't like country, like old country. They like old Johnny Cassidy, like uh, George Jones in like the late fifties, early sixties, when he basically singing about making moonshine. And that's about it. When he, when he had short hair, great stuff. Uh, Richard Pryor, I don't know. I mean, I think, I, so I guess it, it, it's what we're, what we're getting at here is sometime soon, Eddie Murphy is going to have a huge ass tour where he's, you know, on stage, maybe doing some of the greatest hits, probably being Eddie Murphy. Yeah, I'm sure he's maybe gotten a little bored making successful movies and winning Oscars. And <laughs> he's he's a stand-up by nature, so I would hope that he's going to come out there at some time, some point soon. And yeah, you and I are going to be, you know, gullible enough to pay 250 bucks to, sure. see, to see Eddie Murphy do Eddie Murphy live. Because if James Brown was alive, I would go 
pay a couple hundred dollars to see James Brown beat James Brown on stage. So yeah, there's uh I think that's natural, natural in American Western culture to kind of, you know, I, I, rock and roll was kind of pitched as this thing that was going to go away. And then I think when I was growing up in the eighties and Springsteen was big and, you know, people were like, oh, no one's really going to care about Springsteen and in the nineties and, and beyond, but you know, well, uh, he played at the Walter care theater uh, four nights a week in New York for like two years. And I remember, I, I think the first time I went to New York with my, my wife and kid, my kid is like, oh, we should go see Springsteen. I'm like, dude, you got four, you have, you have $1,500. Cause I don't, but <laughs> a lot of people are paying to see him. And uh, what is he he's doing a podcast with, with, um, with Obama now? Yeah. Like, I've heard that man. Oh, so like, yeah. I've heard it um, first, though. Springsteen's so relevant. Whether you're not whether or not you like born in the USA or you know Thunder Road or whatever, like he's doing stuff and that's pretty cool. So let's hooray for nostalgia and hooray for people having still having good taste for stuff that's you know been around for a while. Yeah. You know, you, you touched on this earlier that you know, when we were talking about those stupid little arguments that your friends like to have, and you just talked about like modern country versus old country, and then I've had people like, Oh, you know, that's not country today, it's pop or whatever and just you know and i really kind of avoid these arguments because i try to see both sides of it but it's like well i mean i don't really have a dog in the fight anyway but yeah but i i, I tend to get in, in in the middle a bunch of these little arguments like that you know especially like the lebron versus michael who's the goat and all this or kobe's you can put him in there too and it's just like all right you know we can argue we can sit here and argue this all day you know but yeah i'm not i have a one of my best friends uh is she's a college professor and she loves like all she listens to is country music and she's definitely not someone who like is from kind of rural white conservative America. She's from Chicago suburbs here. And I could like, you know, she'll tell you that little big town is country, but they're also pretty pop. They sound a lot like Fleetwood Mac and they kind of look like Fleetwood Mac a little bit, sure. but you know, they're selling out stadiums. People love their music. That's kind of all that matters. So yeah. And if I don't like Drake, who cares what I say? You know, Drake is still, uh, I'll always think of him as like a, a mouseketeer on the Disney channel, but you know, he's, he's, <laughs> Sell a lot of records, sell a lot of tickets to the concert twenty tours. So, you know, yeah, more power to them. What was it like? You know, you you seemed like you're you know you're always trying to get into concert and stuff. But during COVID, what was it like? You know, did you just have to just sit back and just well, this is how it's going to be and just adapt? Yeah, um, I had gone. I think in the in the summer, um, I know I went to Riot Fest that summer in 2019, and I and I I'd seen a show or two, and so it's kind of like I tend to do this thing where I'll see a couple of concerts or, or club shows in a row and then I'm good for eight months. So it kind of worked out. Um, I did actually like, you probably heard that some bands were having like their, their little tiny desk concerts or yeah. like concerts in the basement. I, I watched a concert. Dressy Bessie is a band from uh, Denver. They're kind of like alternative pop. They're, they're kind of fun, not really heavy music. And I watched them like the two, the basically the two people, I think it, it might even be a husband and wife or the two main people in the band, like in their basement with like a, like a strobe light. Mm -hmm. uh, just playing their songs and uh, another one of my favorite southern rock bands dasher brock they're from new orleans they've been around forever they did like a crawfish boil and played a concert so, like they're all they're like standing 10 or 15 feet apart and literally there's like a big ass pot that's i don't know it's probably like the size of a uh a garbage can with steam going in the background because they're they're getting ready to boil crawfish at the end of their uh their set and I think I was coming back from like, I had to do errands. I think my wife sent me on errands. I was like, crap, Dash Rip Rock is on. I'm literally walking out of the car on my phone. Like, oh, I can, my phone's good enough that I can actually watch this. Mm. And watch their set, you know, walk in my house and sat down. It's probably like 4 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon. So I did, you know, as much of that as I could. I saw Juliana Hatfield play a live set. 
I'm not sure if she still lives in Boston, but she did kind of her acoustic thing. Yeah. Uh, acoustic pouty face, you know, singing sappy, you know, like sappy, like, like songs about someone who's depressed and the songs still rock. Like a lot of the artists did what they had to. And um, yeah. So, I mean, I feel like yeah, it was obviously a, a, um, a time in history, recent history that was unique and obviously you couldn't do anything about it other than just try to be safe. So yeah, I got my fill, uh, kind of gave, uh, well, I guess the, the difference between the world now and back then is everybody uses Zoom. But <laughs> uh, maybe, you know, uh, the musicians got out of the program and said, we're going to play a live set on Zoom or Skype or whatever. And that's not abnormal now. And uh, I, you know, I'm going to go to live concerts. I'm not going to kind of watch Guns N' Roses play, you know, over Zoom unless that's the only option. But yeah, for a while it worked. I think it, it kept us sane for a little while and it, it is what it is. So what about you? What do you, what did you do? when you uh, were locked in? Well, I mean, honestly, life did not change much for me during COVID. It just really, for me, just go wear a mask if I went outside. So I still had access to a gym. I still went to work. I still went to the grocery store. Not much was really closed down in my area. But of course, like I'm from a very rural area. Mm -hmm. So, but for me, um, you know, going out, you know, just it's more just like, hey, you just want to bring over some friends and do anything and then we'll watch either movies or just whatever if we could find somebody like uh i know a, bunch, a couple of comedians did that zoom thing and yeah they were, it was just it was just different you know like you know being at a concert like you said being at a concert then watching it through zoom it's just a different experience you know it's just like yeah this is cool and all but if i was actually at the concert i would really be just having a time of my life so to speak but yeah I had friends who got married and they did um, they had a really small part, like literally immediate family. And then a couple of, you know, like a bridal party. It was pretty. And we watched their wedding on Zoom. This is in, yeah, this is in the fall of 2020. So uh, then when eventually I, I saw them in person like this summer or this spring, it was, you know, we knocked back a couple of beers to kind of make up for the, the time away. So, yeah. no, it was March, I think, of 20. And we bunch of my friends and I went up to Roanoke, which was uh they got a bunch of breweries and stuff up there. And that's when kind of COVID was, I think it was still in China or something. There's maybe one case had just gotten to Seattle or wherever it was at right now. And we yeah. were just like, yeah, whatever, we're just gonna go. No, we weren't taking it serious. We thought it was gonna be everything just like all the other, you know, like yeah. swan flu and everything else, like it'll just die out, whatever. But we went up there, nothing bad happened or whatever. But I remember like the week the next week or two weeks later, it was all of a sudden the world started shutting down. Yeah, I was like, oh shit, maybe we shouldn't have went up there. Maybe we yeah, well, I, I remember like uh, like going out with my wife and a little early, which we, we tend to do this in Chicago for St. Patrick's Day. And I think it was like, oh, we're going to go out tonight and we're going to have to like probably not go out. Back then it was, no one was wearing masks. It was more like, I'm not going to shake your hand or, or hug you. I'll give you a yeah. fist bump, you know, and we'll be fine. Little did we know, probably about a week and a half. I want to say it was during St. Patrick's Day. It was, I mean, it was a Wednesday. And my kid was supposed to have spring break starting that Friday and the Wednesday, just like they literally sent it right home and be like, all right, you got it. You got an extra day. And then Chicago went, um, what do they call it? A shelter in place. And we yeah. started going anywhere. And then, then you wonder if you can, can you order food groceries and, you know, we were just super careful and, um, you know, followed the mandates and do what we had to do, but saw through eventually. And I'm glad, uh, you know, no, none, nobody immediately related to me or that I'm close with got really sick. I mean, uh, so maybe I did, maybe did some of the right, just being, being careful. No, I'm the same way. I have one friend who really put him down, but other than that, it was just, you know, like he just said it was a really bad flu basically, but you yeah. know, no one really had any other bad experiences other than that. So like you said, 
pretty grateful for that. But, you know, and I, also that might be, I guess, a double-edged sword because I don't know if I actually took it that serious or not because I was like, whatever, if I get it, I'll be fine. I ain't worried about it. But, and I, you know, and I'm not saying that, you know, to offend anybody or whatever because I know some people had a lot of issues with it. But, yeah, that was just, you know, my take on it that it's kind of like, whatever, I'll be okay. So I don't know. Yeah, if well, we, we, all made, we made it through, so. Exactly. So, but Andy, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, I know I only got you for a little bit. So, uh, but if people want to find the book or if you want to plug the book or plug where people can find you, find the book, all that good stuff. Yeah. I mean, if you go to Amazon, if you're on it, everybody's getting it through Amazon these days, you know, 90 days in the nineties, um, pretty easy to find. That's one of the cool parts about Amazon. Once your book's on Amazon, it like takes care of the SEO part of it. I went literally from like one day can't even find my my own new website for the book to like oh it, there it is it's all over the place so yeah or wherever you buy books um i definitely do encourage if you got like a local bookstore um and, and i've actually got my book at some record stores like you know patronize local businesses sure. even if you order it if that's um, something you want to do definitely support local businesses otherwise you go to my website just 90 days in the 90s.com if you order it from there i'll ship it sign it for you send you some swag um but yeah i mean if you like 90s music at all or you like a, a you know, it's different spin on time travel fiction with a lot of pop culture in it. I think that's what the book is about. So yeah, it's, it's out there and, you know, take a crack at it. Cool. Thanks for being here, dude. Appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Chris. See you folks. We're out of here. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.